In this episode of Deming Speaks, we begin a two-part series. In part one, Dr. Deming discusses why transformation is not enough and his thoughts on his system of profound knowledge. Ready for business? Now, let's have a look, chapter 4, in the three rings. Look, how about it? We're going to begin? We've seen, maybe we all agree, maybe most of us agree, that the prevailing style of management must undergo transformation. They have a stronger word than later, stronger word than transformation. The transformation requires profound knowledge, not just some kind of change. No, we have to know what we're doing. And there's no substitute for knowledge. The individual components of the system, instead of being competitive, will, for optimization, reinforce each other for accomplishment of the aim of the system. The same transformation is required in government and in education. That means in the relationship between government and business, between education and society. The system of profound knowledge, which we're embarking on now, provides a lens. It provides a new, a new map of theory by which to understand and optimize the organization, plural, that we work in, and thus to make a contribution to the whole country. It'd be better to say make a contribution to society. As a good rule, profound knowledge comes from outside and by invitation. A system cannot understand itself, we learned yesterday. The transformation will require leaders. As Dr. Baker put it, you can learn a lot about ice, though very little about water. The aim of this chapter, chapter 4, is to present to the reader a system of profound knowledge. A later chapter will describe a leader, chapter 5. The first step is transformation of the individual. We uh, learned yesterday. We had a letter yesterday from a woman. We can reread it. It's on page 75 of your three ring. My marriage went from rough to rocky. Rougher to rockier. Eternal trouble. 
win, lose, each one jockeying to be the winner. I took your seminar, learned about a system, cooperation, win-win. I explained it to my husband. We thereupon worked together on every detail, seeking win-win. Both of us won. Both of us win. And we both won. Who would wish to compete in a marriage? The winner would be married to a loser. Who'd wish to be married to a loser? As I said yesterday, who'd wish to do business with a loser? Would you want your supplier to be a loser? Want your customer to be a loser? Want his employees to be losers? Want your employees to be losers? No. Want your stockholders to be losers? No. No. We don't want to do business with losers. We don't have to. We must think in terms of a system. Everybody wins. Let's make the best of what we have for everybody. So, page 99. Again, the first step is transformation of the individual. The transformation is discontinuous. It's not a step, and another step, and another step. No, it's discontinuous, it's sudden. It's a, a totally different relationship before and after transformation. The transformation comes from understanding the system of profound knowledge. The individual transformed will perceive new meaning to his life, to events, to numbers, to interactions between people. Once the individual is transformed, he will apply the system of profound knowledge in every kind of relationship with other people. You'll have a basis for judgment of his own decisions and for transformation of the organizations that he belongs to. The individual, once transformed, will set an example. will be a good listener, but will not compromise. You will continually teach other people. You will help people to pull away from their current practice and beliefs and move into the new philosophy without a feeling of guilt about the past. I think that's very important. Maybe we could think a little about that. Change Transformation does not carry with it a sense of shame or guilt for the past. It means we step into something that we think is better. It doesn't mean what we did was wrong. We did the best we could. We have something better now. I've been using the word transformation. A better word 
would be uh, the Greek word metanoia. Meta. Our word metamorphosis comes from the same root. That's a word more suitable, I believe, than transformation. However, I'll probably continue to use the word transformation. Metanoia means penitence, repentance, reorientation of one's way of life, spiritual conversion. Transformation means change of form, shape, or appearance. We need more than change of form, shape, and appearance. We need spiritual reorientation in the way we see things, new knowledge. Now, a system of profound knowledge up at the top of page 100 consists of four parts, all related to each other. One, appreciation for a system. Second, knowledge about variation. Some knowledge about variation would be better. Some theory of knowledge. And some knowledge of psychology. One need not be eminent in any part of profound knowledge in order to understand it and apply it. The 14 points for management in industry, education, and government follow naturally as applications of the system of profound knowledge. For transformation from the present style of Western management to one of optimization. The various segments of the system of profound knowledge, those four parts, cannot be separated. They interact with each other. Thus, knowledge of psychology is incomplete without knowledge of variation. People are different. How can you understand the psychology of people or of a group or society? without some knowledge of variation. Be incredible. Be a ridiculous thought. We need some knowledge of variation in order to understand the psychology. And on page 101, I've listed some further entwinement of psychology and use of theory of variation. For example, the number of defective items that an inspector finds depends on the size of the workload presented to him. Documented by Harold F. Dodge in the Bell Telephone Laboratories around 1926, force the Bell Telephone Laboratories, 463 West Street, New York, 
That was it. Today, just a building. Just a building. I passed by it. Monday morning. Every Monday morning. On the way up to Columbia University. Just a building. I don't know what it was for today. Think of what came out of there. Out of that building. The Bell Telephone Laboratories. A monopoly. <coughs> responsible only to themselves. The 50-50 owned by Western Electric and AT&T. They gave a complete monopoly. The people there were responsible only to themselves. They had freedom to think and to work. The director, first director, and he was there a long time, Dr. Frank B. Jewett. Wish I knew more about him. I met him one time, but I had no sense. <laughs> Didn't know what was coming up. I was only 27 or 28 or something like that. Just trying to acquire knowledge. Still, still trying. <clears throat> All right. Let's proceed on page 101. An inspector, careful not to penalize anybody unjustly, may pass an item that is just outside the borderline. Illustration, distribution on page 266 of your book, Out of the Crisis. A teacher, not wishing to penalize a pupil unjustly, if it's a borderline case, will pass the pupil, may pass the pupil. We saw on page 265 in the book, Out of the Crisis, we did it yesterday. An inspector trying to save the jobs of 300 people produced fiction or figures. Page 265 in your book, Other Crisis, you could turn to it, that chart. The figures there are fiction. The inspector invented them. She was trying to save the jobs of 300 people. She never let the proportion defective go to 10%. Inspectors will do that. You might say, well, she should not do that. Yeah, but we're in this world, and that's what inspectors will do. That's what other people will do. <clears throat> Let's continue on page 101. A teacher already mentioned this, not wishing to penalize any pupil unjustly, will pass a pupil that is barely below the requirement for a passing grade. Here, here invites wrong figures, bears the bad news very badly. To keep his job, anyone may present to his boss 
only good news. You don't present bad news. You ought to hold your job. A committee appointed by the president of a company will report what the president wishes to hear. Dr. Baker explained it this morning. Mr. Donald Peterson, a great man he is, I had the pleasure to work with him ten years. President Ford appointed a committee on the so-called merit system. The committee reported what Mr. Peterson wished to hear. Uh, better not report something else. Well, what happened to you if he did? He was a great man. Yet the committee came through with what the president wished to, wished to hear. Would they dare to report otherwise? An individual may inadvertently seek to cast a halo about himself. Inadvertently. He may report to an interviewer in a study of readership. Did he read the New York Times? I mean, ask him what paper did you read this morning? Uh, I mean, uh, what, what's the best paper in New York? Well, no question about it. New York Times. What paper did you read this morning? Hmm. Anything but. <laughs> Statistical calculations and predictions based on warped figures may lead to confusion, frustration, and wrong decisions. Accounting-based measures of performance drive employees to achieve targets of sales, revenues, costs, by manipulation of processes, and by flattery or delusive promises to cajole a customer into purchase of what he does not need. A leader of transformation and managers involved need to learn the psychology of individuals the psychology of a group, the psychology of society, the psychology of change. I'm looking forward to the meeting tomorrow night on change. Everybody, uh, everybody will take part tomorrow night. I know a lot of people here, but I think everybody will take part tomorrow night. I think it's this evening we have the film by Dr. Yoshida at six. And I hope that you will see it. It's 58 minutes long. Full of advice and a lot of fun. Some understanding of variation, including appreciation of a stable system, and some understanding of special causes and common causes of variation are essential for management of a system, including management of people, who continue to learn about common causes of variation and special causes. Now, what about a system? We've already studied, we spent some time already in Chapter 3 on a system. We've learned something about it. A system is a network of independent components 
uh, interdependent, I should say, interdependent components that work together to try to accomplish the aim of the system. A system must have an aim, as we learned yesterday, as we learned this morning from the reports of our working groups. Without an aim, there's no system. We learned also yesterday, we learned in chapter 3, that a system must be managed. It will not manage itself. Left to themselves in the Western world, the various components, teams, divisions, departments, people, work for individual profit. They become individual profit centers, which means destruction of the system. Optimization is a process of orchestrating efforts of all components toward achievement of the stated aim. Let us remember what Dr. Victor Lowe said this morning, aim, the aim of your organization. Don't, don't uh, be careful. The aim, the statement, the statement of aim, if you're not careful, may be just a statement of what you're doing. It's not a statement of just what you're doing. It's a statement of what, a statement of purpose of why we're here. The greater the interdependence between components, the greater be the need for communication and cooperation between them. Also, the greater will be the need for overall management. Figure 9 on page 104 illustrates degrees of interdependence from low to high. On the left, low interdependence. On the right, high interdependence. Dr. Barbara Lawton, the prepared this chapter, original draft of it, and drew this figure, figure nine, and she put into it on the left a bowling team. You just add up the scores of the bowling team. Swimming team would be the same way, just add up the time. They're independent. Now when the players are not in contest, they're of course help each other, teach each other, try to help each other. On the right is your business. High interdependence between the components and the orchestra. High interdependence between players. A good orchestra is a fine example of optimization. The players are not there to play solos. They're not prima donnas. Each one trying to catch the ear of the listener. You know what a prima donna does to a choir? Ruins the whole thing. The members of the orchestra are there to support each other. Individually, 
They need not be the best players in the country. Thus, each of the 140 players in the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra of London is there to support the other 139. An orchestra is judged by listeners not so much by illustrious players, but by the way they work together. The conductor, as manager, he gets cooperation between the players as a system. Every player there to support the other 139. That's what makes the orchestra great. They're not the best players in the country. No, they're good. That is what makes the orchestra great. The way they support each other. Their organization is the same way. It's how the various components support each other that determines, that will determine what will happen to your organization, your hopes. Thank you for listening to the Deming Institute podcast. You can help increase our reach by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes or go to our website, podcast.deming.org to subscribe. Also rating us on iTunes helps rank us so others can find our podcast.